Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ chat with Katie Kirshner, Vice President of Brand Content and Digital Marketing at NCR. She explains how ubiquitous NCR software offerings are, and she also explains in-depth the importance of developing a robust content strategy. She also offers a rundown of the seven languages she speaks. AJ's happy and jolly, and Vincent has nothing to do with it. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Vincent Petrofessa with Starista, the Vice President of B2B Products. That must only mean one thing. It's another episode of The Marketing Stir. Oh, it's so good to be here. The Marketing Stir brought to you by Starista. Starista, identity marketing company, our own B2B and B2C databases. We help you with your marketing solutions. We take your first party data, enrich it, enhance it, make it beautiful, model it, get you new customers, email marketing, display, OTT, CTV, our own platform, our own DSP, Adster. Reach, reach out to me, vincent at starista.com. That is how confident I am in our services. I just gave you my email address to all of our wonderful, amazing listeners. But it's not about me. It's not about Starista. It's not even about my co-host. I love them. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my CEO, my commander-in-chief here at Starista, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. I was a little bit down this weekend, but I have bounced back. So we, uh, because of the pandemic, we've been waiting for this tennis tournament the whole of last six months. And we were uh, so hopeful of winning it, we just assumed we would. And turns out we finished second. So that was a, uh, it took me a couple of days to get over it. But here I am happy and jolly again here you are i selfishly was gonna say well hey did i have anything to do with you being happy maybe Uh, maybe apparently not no it wasn't (laughs) it's had something to do with your tennis club and you see you can never go in thinking you're gonna win because look what happened that happened to you before aj that's a whole other podcast once before yeah that's happened once before uh who knows if it'll happen again i think the pandemic has been on your side with that because you can't face me in ping pong but like i said it's not about me you or starista it's about our guest it's always about the guest and it's always about the listener right and we have an amazing guest for you today she had just celebrated a birthday a couple of days ago and she's spending her birthday week with us, and we're excited about it. I'm very excited to welcome this guest. She not only has been a keynote speaker many a time, she speaks like six languages. I could barely get words out of my mouth now, as you can probably tell in English, yet Katie speaks about six languages. We'll talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about the Vice President, Brand, Content, and Digital Marketing at NCR. Please welcome Katie Kirschner. What's going on, Katie? Hey, hey, guys. I feel like I need to take up this energy just like 17 notches just to match you. I love it. I'm getting energy from you. I like it. Thank you. I'm excited. 
I am excited as well. This is my energy all the time. This is late in the day here in New York. And this is my energy. Do you believe it? At the end of the day, it drives AJ nuts. So, but yeah, you have energy too. This is amazing uh, that you're here. Katie, please tell us about NCR and tell us about your role within NCR. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nothing more than I like to talk about NCR. No, I, re I really do enjoy the company. Uh, <laughs> NCR is a, uh, you as a consumer uses NCR probably three times a day on average and doesn't even realize it, right? It's if you've ever bought a movie ticket from a kiosk, done self-checkout at your local grocer, um, taken a picture of your check that you want to deposit into your bank account, or even just gone to pretty much a majority of the restaurants in the United States of America and or some globally, you have utilized and experienced NCR. So we are a global technology company that provides software and services to basically run a restaurant, a store, or a bank. Um, uh, very exciting business to be in, very dynamic industry. That's why I love to talk about it. And my role at NCR is to develop the corporate brand strategy, um, how that then translates into content strategy and development, and then how do you activate that via um, digital marketing strategies, campaign architectures, and also manage our relationships with analysts, so analyst firms, uh, industry analyst firms. That's me in a nutshell. That, that is you, and Katie, tell us how you got into marketing. We always love to hear the story, the path. Was it always, I studied marketing and now I'm in marketing? Or was it, I was, you know, I was a philosophy major and I realized I'm not going to make any money from that and I need to go into marketing. <laughs> it's so funny because if you had, it, usually when someone had asked me this question when I graduated college, although, you know, I don't want to throw my age out there. I just turned 21. No, I'm joking for the 20th time. Um, but it, if I if someone was to ask me, you know, should I major in marketing? Um, even 10 years ago, even five years ago, I said, no, there's no point in majoring in marketing, like major in finance, do it in business administration. You can always learn about marketing later on, but that field has completely changed. Now I would say, yeah, major in marketing because what you need to learn in marketing is data, um, the entire digital aspect of it, how you do position and brand, um, even packaging and pricing behind it, that really has, if, if colleges haven't done it, online um, certifications have done it, to where you need to boost your knowledge as a marketer, and it's a specific science and skill now. So where I came from was I started off my career in corporate strategy development. And I love it. I still love it today. If somebody asked me, what are, what's your strongest core competency? I would say corporate development and brand strategy. Um, what happened was I kind of fell into marketing. I feel like a lot of people say that I fell into yeah. marketing. Uh -huh. um, I, I want to come up with like a way better phrase to, to talk about that. But I fell into marketing because corporate strategy is the, the forefront, the foundation that informs then your marketing or brand strategy, right? If this is who I want to be as a company, my mission, my vision, the values and purposes behind it, how do I then package that and take that to market? So I, um, I kind of easily progressed into that next phase of implementation for corporate strategy into brand strategy and then marketing, which is the activation portion of that. 
And um, I got the opportunity by uh, a company I worked at last, which is in the global logistics industry, a, a great guy who is extremely, extremely smart, now works for Amazon, um, one of their top executives. He, he took a chance on me and he um, allowed me to run marketing communications for the company. I learned a lot, but it also helped me to know how to connect that corporate strategy to that brand strategy and how important it is to understand that marketing and brand strategy is not external only and how you bring that to life internally before you take it externally. So that's my a summed up version of my how did I get into marketing mm-hmm. story. Katie, what, what does your day look like? Because a brand strategy can mean so many different things to different people. So what's kind of uh, you know key things that you try to accomplish during a week? Oh, uh, so one of the hats I wear is the brand strategy part. <laughs> so when I'm talking about the brand strategy, I would say that hat worn is what is the narrative that I need to formulate to bring to market that is going to help either establish or shift perception for our company that's going to help it to meet its goals with multiple audiences, right? So it's not just customers, it's investors, it's uh, industry analysts, it's talent that we may bring on board and to make sure that that narrative is consistent, compelling and differentiated. And obviously because the markets shift at a crazy pace, I mean, all of us just saw our complete world turned upside down when the pandemic hit, right? Well, the, uh, a brand strategy had to be readdressed. What is that new narrative during this time? How are you going to compel people to further engage and still engage with NCR? And or what is the value NCR can bring to the market? And so that's that top level. So on a daily basis, I'd say making sure that that is being tested well in the market, we're adjusting effectively. And then also um, reconfiguring for what the future may bring. Like what is a phase two? Just because our narrative is something now, doesn't mean we can't make sure that it's agile, flexible enough, and we're planning based on trends of what it should be two years from now or a year from now. Great. And from an external perspective, uh, who are some of the target audiences or industries that uh, your company goes after? Um, Well, like I said in the beginning, stores, banks, and restaurants is the majority of them meaning a majority of our customers come from what you would traditionally say is like tier one, tier two customers. We have large global clients or large national clients um, that belong to the banking industry, financial institutions, credit unions, um, the retail industry that includes convenience fuel and retailers, uh, your grocery stores, which we call food, drug, and mass merchandising, and also department and specialty retail. And then from a, a hospitality perspective, it's restaurants. Um, we did have a bit of travel and um, I'd mentioned cinema, which uh, we dabble in as well, but it's the majority of the restaurant field. And then we also have, um, believe it or not, tele- telecommunications as one of our um, industries. That's not a massive part of our business, but it's actually a very fruitful part where basically AT&T is, is one of our customers as well. And Oddly enough, AT&T used to own NCR, but that's a history story for you. <laughs> See, we're le- learning something new every day on the marketing stir. Speaking about learning something new, we always love to ask the question, Katie, about what are some of the marketing tactics that you use 
at NCR, whether that, you know, what works, email marketing, display, digital, to help you get new customers? Oh, man, full spectrum, uh, I will say. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what people traditionally miss in integrating marketing tactics that um, we found works very well for us in a B2B environment. So all of you from whether you're B2C, B2B, B2B2C, <laughs> um, because there's all these new environments that they wanna, they wanna drum up, uh, email is king, right? If you can get someone's email address, you can engage in a story. And you're giving them, when that person gives you their email address, they're giving you permission to engage them. They're giving, they're giving you permission to, um, you know, bring value to their life. And they can always unsubscribe if they decide that value isn't there anymore. And so I will say, do we use email marketing? Absolutely. Big, huge tactic, especially from a thought leadership nurture perspective. Um, display ads, yes, uh, in two different formats to target individuals with some compelling content. So again, on that thought leadership and also on any offers that we've brought up, normally works a little bit better from an SMB perspective. But I will say targeting when you're talking about a white paper or a great compelling piece of content could also work for the upper tiers and does for us. Um, search, organic is a big concentration for us right now. So we're working on those non-branded words and making sure that we're ranking highly for them across those three industries of what our clients are caring about, what are they Googling about, um, what, as it pertains to what the value we're able to bring for those businesses. And then um, where people, well, I wouldn't say where people, but maybe where you take a less integrated approach sometimes that I've seen in some other industries across B2B is incorporating um, analyst tactics. So analyst firms, your Gartners, your Foresters, your IDCs, your IHLs, et cetera, that integrating the influence that you have with them along with the thought leadership you've produced with your customers and making sure that that all of those things speak to each other because believe it or not analysts are also they are a, a face of your company right analysts are going to talk to your customers because they're asking them for recommendations you have to make sure that they have that right narrative that they see you as a thought leader that they see you as a great provider and so there is like a targeting sort of relationship mechanism with them. Um, and then a little bit of our more traditional, we still do events now within pandemic COVID, we've kind of reduced that, but we do have virtual events that we've taken a part of. And obviously we want those to be integrated with any digital marketing tactics that um, we currently do. And then that was going to be my, my second question is, you know, are you doing as, as far as the, maybe a lead generation aspect. I'm, I'm on the B2B side, so I understand that. The lead generation aspect, are you moving to, or did you do events was my one question. What did those kind of look like before? Your own events, did you just attend trade shows? Or, and also, are you doing any webinars? Are you doing any thought leadership pieces to, to you know, introduce people to NCR? And what do those look like? Yeah, I would say, um, Anytime you have an activation strategy, it's actually only as good as the content strategy you've built behind it for so the content development. Meaning, if I'm going to do targeted ads, um, so display ads as well, if I'm going to go to an event, if I'm going to send out an email campaign, well, what's inside of that, what I'm presenting to the person, the content is what actually matters. And to me, that's what a webinar is, right? 
webinar is not just a, it, it's not a task more tactic it's more that content dev that then i activate with tactics so um yes we do webinars um uh, we like to create what we call hero pieces of content so that's your longer form or your longer thought leadership and then developing derivatives off of that um, so that we're able to use those derivatives to push you towards the hero piece of content um, but those are like your light little snackables your infographics your um, your shorter blogs, they may be longer form blogs, but they're not as long as like a thought leadership white paper or an ebook, right? Um, it could be a customer story. So a story that leads to that narrative that says, oh, I had this pain point of which the white paper then addresses, right? So content is king. I know that that, that phrase has been used, started being used way before, like probably 10 years before, but it really is. And your activation strategy is only as good as the content strategy that's behind it. So we have a huge focus on what is the content we need to build? What is the common thread narrative we need to string across this content? And then how are we going to leverage it in an activation strategy to amplify it, to further it, so we get eyeballs on it? Kitty, you've been pretty upbeat throughout the podcast. So what have you been doing during the uh, pandemic, both at work, at home, to keep upbeat? Oh, upbeat, you mean have energy? Well, I have, an, I have a 19-month-old at home. Nice, so, congrats. I can't say that she, um, and I'm also um, seven months pregnant. So for me to oh, nice. keep, uh, keep, keep some energy, let's see. I will say I am, a, I am a masochist when it comes to working out. And believe it or not, it's something that gives me energy rather than sucks energy from me. <laughs> so if I don't get my workout in in a day, it's almost like, oh, I feel so sluggish. So I'll say the workouts that I do plus me playing and, you know, you know building imagination in my 19-month-old, that's really what's keeping me going, giving me energy um, on a daily basis. Hey, that's, uh, we, we both, Vincent and I both have little kids, but uh, we don't have anyone pregnant. So I, I at least no. none that I know. So I have a five month old. My, <laughs> my wife was pregnant five months ago, six months ago. <laughs> yeah. That's but, a baby. Uh, yeah. uh, that, that's impressive, Katie. I'm sure you have your hands full. So along, along with all the stuff at work. So. Um, and then, you know, what, what has, Besides kind of being pregnant, you know, for business strategy and uh, branding and messaging, how was there kind of a time where you guys were like, we need to hit reset, we need to change messaging, or what was it like during the pandemic in the company and the marketing team in particular? Yeah, I, I guess I alluded to this to a little bit to this. Um, when, when COVID hit, it, it turned us around, right? Um, we actually had just had a launch of our new brand campaign as of January. We we're launching out to the market. We are one of the largest retail exhibitions in the world called uh, NRF. It's held in New York. There you go. New York for Vincent there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we were very excited about it. It resonated with the market. It was all about optimization, um, thinking about the way your business is, is operating today and how to just better it, make it better. Um, so taking it to that next level and then bam, not even a month and a half later, COVID hits, right? And so we have a narrative around optimization and um, taking that to market with, hey, I mean, even like paid media, the ads we wanted to do it, the earned media we wanted to do around it. And we realized 
that's not the right narrative for our customers right now. They're not thinking about optimizing their businesses. They're thinking about how do I survive? How do I get to stabilization mode? Because right now I'm in the chaotic mess. And um, so we switched our narrative from what was called simple made possible to keep commerce running. So believe it or not, NCR is deemed an essential business across multiple countries in the globe. Simply because if you think about it, uh, we run the technology in a grocery store. The technology is not working in a grocery store and you can't check out, if you can't go there and buy things and, and get your essentials, then um, you won't be able to you know, get what you need to put food on your table. Um, and it's not only that, at banking, the, uh, the whole value chain of being able to go to an ATM and getting money in the banking industry to be able to work during this time. Um, getting food even from restaurants, and I know the way that they've changed is significant, but because of the customers we serve, we were keeping commerce running. And we believed in helping our customers to continue their business even during this completely tumultuous time where you didn't know tomorrow what the new government relations were going to be and or what the impact was going to be in terms of uh, safety and health. And so um, we shifted that narrative. We also shifted our tactics. So instead of, hey, let's do paid advertising and display ads and let's do some earned media, it was, we're going to establish a new portal of thought leadership. We created an entire resource hub specifically around addressing some of the concerns and some of the transformational needs around the coronavirus and COVID, right? So restaurants, um, what are the new safety precautions? How can you lay out your restaurants differently? How do you start, how do you even start an app that you probably never had before? You're a fine dining restaurant, you're going to start doing takeout. How do you even start doing that, right? How do you start a social media campaign around it? Because people aren't coming to your storefront anymore. They're actually looking for you online. And the same happened for restaurants, for, um, sorry, retailers. It was some retailers just had to completely shut down. How do you shut down your systems while maintaining your data? How do you, um, then how do you bring them up slowly again? So there was a lot of thought leadership that had to be built around something we never thought we'd have to address, really. Um, but I almost want to say uh, it's, a, it's a blessing in disguise. You can always you can always find some fruitful lessons from tribulations, right? From trials and tribulations. We, we wouldn't learn if we didn't have them. And we certainly didn't let a, a good pandemic go to waste. Not that it's good, but we didn't let it go to waste, right? Mm -hmm. we, we were able to talk to our customers about what we've been talking to them for the past two years, this digital transformation. This, this just accelerated the need to go digital. And we were already prepared to have those conversations, but not prepared with the right content. So um, our whole story around shifting the narrative and then how we're going to present that narrative with content, it happened like overnight. That coronavirus hub that I talked about, we had that built with at least 15 articles within the first week. We're now at 170 plus articles. Um, so I think we're about six months in. We, we, we had unbelievable engagement scores on that. We had a, over a 550, I think now it's like a 600% year over year increase in traffic to our site. So the, the, it's just insane the amount like, hey, if you actually create content your customers care about in the time that they, they need it, think about how much they're engaging with it. And of course, people always ask, well, what's the business value of that, right? It's great that people are coming to your website and they're reading your thing. Um, the business value is, A, we've, we've started to shift some perception. We've already done studies on it, what people thought about us before versus what they think about us today. If they think about us differently today in the way we want them to, they're, they're starting to consider us for 
fulfilling the, that business need when it comes up, right? And um, we were able to get some digitally influenced pipeline that ended up seeing conversions in some of these industries um, during a time where people weren't really buying, right? So um, that was a long story just to say we had to shift a narrative, shift our tactics, and we had some great results from it. Yeah, but, but I like the story because it's you're putting out content that's helping people. I couldn't tell you how many emails I received, especially in the beginning of, you know, maybe back in March or April. Hey, we're here to help Vincent. Well, how, how are you going to help me? You know, you can, what are you going to do to my business? What, uh, what information, what content can you give me? What, what can you content? Can you give parents out there who are teaching their children now? What, what can you provide them? So, I love that. If you, if you put good content and especially in, in, in NCR's case, goodwill out there, all the business stuff and the customers will come later. Yeah. You know, because they'll remember that going in first as a, we care, here's some content that'll help your business. I think that's, that's valuable, especially the industries that you work in, the industries that you service were hit very hard. Retail, you know, banks, maybe, maybe not as hard, but retail, the, the, how restaurants i don't have a list of people i could contact people just come by my store what do i do so it's very it's uh, it's very valuable there katie you mentioned you know international do is your role serving international customers as well international yep. markets so yeah. my team does it at a, at a corporate level and um and that's the interesting part of it when we talk about how do, how do we serve them internationally we we did translate some of the articles that we created to some of the thought leadership that we created. And um, obviously the world experienced the pandemic in, a, in different phases, right? So even when we're rolling out the new, when we're rolling out the keep commerce running narrative, or now that we're transitioning back into simple made possible and a little bit um, of a twist on that, even because we've learned from the pandemic, it's, which markets do we take it to and when? Well, it's based on market conditions, right? We, we, uh, we have a huge market in the U.S., don't get me wrong. Um, we're based here. Um, we're very needy in all three of our industries that we serve within the U.S. But banking, um, I mean, we've been in banking forever. <laughs> um, so we also have a massive presence internationally. And it was, how do we how do we know when to you know, move that narrative over to the international side? And believe it or not, because of our global presence, we actually get a lot of data from what's going on in these industries that actually helped us to create good strategies on what our moves would be and when. So I can give you an example. Um, I'll give you an example for the hospitality industry. We actually saw from the data that we get, because if you think about it, you're checking out, um, you're buying food at a grocery, or at, sorry, at a restaurant, um, we could see what you were buying it on and how you were buying it. So meaning um, we saw the immediate dip in in restaurants, so on-premise, what's called on-premise sales, and immediate spike in off-premise or digital sales. It was, it was 30, 70 before, and that just flipped. So it's 70, 30. So digital sales were actually massive. But what we also saw was that digital sales, although, were not as high as on-prem sales. So it still didn't help them 
to build the, the right level of revenue that they were used to before. So with that data, it's, okay, what, is, what are some of the content that we can build out of that? What are the pain points that are coming out of that? Because we're understanding how this market is shifting, right? So using that fellowship. The same goes for banking. Um, banks who are very, most were very traditional in nature. It was how do they shift quickly to saying, oh, well, you could do, you have to come to the bank to get your loans and to have our conversations about anything you want for business, et cetera. And then all of a sudden it was, you have to do everything online. And they had to adjust to putting everything online and having a good app, a digital app and a presence. Um, a great example is uh, uh, money lockers to pick up your money. So we had this developed uh, last year. It well, it's been in development, but I would say we kind of showcased it more last year, especially at our investors day. And we had a lot of banks telling us, no, we don't need that right now. Like there's, there's really not a need. That's not something we don't need someone to digitally request cash, like a, like small business. Sorry, let me be clear on what this is. A small business to request cash or to be able to deposit cash in it, like a big fashion through a locker. Like they can come into our branch and they can do that. Well, COVID hit and then they're like, oh my gosh, we need something where people don't have contact with other people. We need someone to be able to order this, order their cash um, ahead of time be able to schedule, you know, the locker, uh, an easy pickup location, et cetera. And all of a sudden it was like, can we, you know, use these lockers? So um, I think the data and understanding that we got internationally helped us to make some of our moves as well as kind of influence, you know, maybe some of the other regions that we were going to market to as well from a product strategy perspective. And, and speaking of that product strategy, you mentioned some of the plans in, in January 2020, and then there was a shift. Are some of those new solutions going to be rolled out in 2021? What does that look like? New products or services? Um, yeah, or they were already rolled out. So um, <laughs> we innovated and we innovated fast on some of the products that we needed to, to help our customers to keep commerce running, to keep their businesses up and running. Um, I can give an example. I can't say the client's name, but I can give an example of a very large retailer within the United States. Um, they needed to make it um, uh, make the checkout experience, um, let's say, scatter the checkout experience. So meaning like right now you have self-checkout or checkout. Every lane is next to each other. They needed to make it so every other lane was available, especially within self-checkout and in checkout. Well, the technology doesn't, it wasn't, wasn't currently created that you could say, I want this one on, this one off, this one on, this one off, right? Um, an easy switch. And not only that, for thousands of stores, right? Not just trying to do it for one store, trying to do it for thousands of stores. So we had to develop a software solution around that in order for it to be adaptable so that they could do that on a quick basis. And we did that. We um, ideated. There was another aspect to it, but I won't go into that example. We ideated on it with that customer. We had it in market in their stores across the nation within two weeks and that's that's like an insane timeline when it comes mm -hmm. to innovation right um another one is our mobile pay capabilities that we we rolled out to restaurants and having those available within the months of covid um and allowing access to that um as well as you know the content around it that how you're going to leverage it 
So I will say, did we learn things this year that we will probably implement in 2021 and beyond? Absolutely. But we learned things this year that we implemented this year as well, just for the pure need um, of our customers in the market. Katie, moving on to some more fun questions. This is a staple for our podcast. So uh, LinkedIn messages, I'm sure with your title, you get a lot of uh, junk messages. So we're curious. We always, always... I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so we always want to know, you know, what's a message that gets you to respond and what's really one that's like a pet peeve that really annoys you? Uh, you know what? I'm probably going to give the same answer a lot of people give, but man, if you haven't done your research on me, um, don't message me yet. So here I have, to, I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, the first example I have is someone messages me on LinkedIn and says, you seem like the perfect buyer for our procurement solution that we have. And, you know, we think that, I think that you would be a great partnership. I'd love to do your own procurement. I'm like, where do you see anywhere on my profile that has anything to do with procurement? <laughs> like, it's, I don't even think the word exists anywhere on my profile because I've never been in procurement, right? So um, I think from a, from a sales perspective, and I understand, you know, there are, there are ways that you target on LinkedIn. I mean, obviously we do this too from a digital marketing perspective, but if this is a sales individual that's reaching out, even if this is made for you, come on, like do, do your research. I, I have nothing to do with procurement. And I even get emails that do that. But LinkedIn is even worse because you literally see my profile on LinkedIn. It's not private, right? This isn't Instagram or Facebook. Um, the second part is recruiting. So, and I'm sure, you know, top talent, you know, you get reached out to all the time. Hey, I've got this great opportunity. Um, would you be willing to consider it, et cetera? I cannot tell you how many recruiters have reached out to me for positions that have absolutely nothing to do with my background too. And again, my LinkedIn profile is not skinny. It's thick. It's got all the details of what I've done in my past. It's got keywords inside of it. I'm a, I'm a digital marketer. I get it, right? So I know how to, how to pump up. I'm also a brander, so personal brand is important to me. And so when someone reaches out to me because they think that I would be a really good project manager for, for a, you know, um, man, I'm thinking about one of a project. I got project management for a warehouse in India. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> Perfect. Where, why are you? Re yes, yes. I would love your project management role in a warehouse in India. Like, um, <laughs> I just think there's, there, there's so many great tools out there but that you could leverage, but also just simply reading the profile of the individual you're about to send a message to is probably 75% uh, of the battle. That, that is good advice. And I'm sure some people will reach out to you saying they heard you on the podcast and still offer you something completely unrelated because they didn't actually yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. Anyone looking for a program manager? Katie is your... I know, right? <laughs> I'm here for you. In India, yeah. Yep. I can go keep be based there. Mm -hmm. so Katie, Not one of my been... seven languages, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wrong. See, I'm surprised you didn't scold me on that. So, uh, I said six. Well, so tell, gonna... us, tell us more about the... Well, do we count English? I mean, I'm still rough at that. So how how do you know so many languages, Katie? Uh, this is a good question. Uh, I learned languages 
via love at first. And then I have also have a very international background. So I'm Japanese and Irish. Um, my mom raised in Japan and California, then came over to um, Georgia. So she spent a lot of her time there. My grandmother, um, full out great accent and everything. <laughs> um, so because I grew up in that environment, I think it also drew me to kind of more international cultural feel. Um, my dad also, you know, his parents, I think his dad spoke seven languages as well. Not the same seven, just to put it out there. But um, I've dated a couple people or had a relationship with people where they were inter they had an international background. I just wanted to learn the language of their family. So Afrikaans is one of the languages that I really wow. wanted to learn simply because I dated someone from South Africa. And I was like, I just want to learn so I can talk to your parents. Even though your parents speak English, I still want to learn. You know, I just wanted to learn it. So um, I picked that up. And I think I ended up having a great passion for languages. I believe that when an individual can speak in their native tongue um, and they have the ability to express themselves to you in their native tongue, you get so much more out of that relationship because they're more comfortable in it. So I, I loved learning other languages so that I could get closer to the culture and closer to the individuals that I was trying to have relationships with across, across these, um, you know, these different borders and, and ponds, may I say. That's really how I got into it. It's not like there's no genius behind this. It's really, you just have a really great passion for it. Um, you figure out a methodology and you kind of just keep applying it. Yeah, I, I like that. I always try, I, I speak Spanish as well. I can understand Italian because I'm Italian, my ancestors. But even when I go to, when I, you know, to France, I'll learn some of the language. I'll go in and I'll learn the language and they'll laugh at me and they'll be like, all right, man, here's, you know, here's your cheese and baguette. But it's, I, I always try to, to immerse myself, not, not to your level, of course, but I, I, I agree with you there. So also but they what, appreciate it. They really they always do. do. They always appreciate yeah. it. And it's, uh, it is, well, Spanish I speak. So when I, I, sometimes I lose the language a little bit until I go on vacation somewhere to like Mexico or South America and I'll, I'll kind of get it back. So that is awesome. I like that. And we also love to talk about, we both do a lot of charity work, AJ and I, and we wanted to learn more about your volunteer work with the Northport Community Church. Tell us about that. Oh, um, so I've been with North Point Ministries, Northwick Futures for something like 17 years now. Wow. So um, even, even when I didn't, so I lived in, I've lived in seven different countries. I've lived overseas. And even when I lived overseas, I was still like very involved in it. Um, so my involvement now, which is, it's kind of changed during COVID. So maybe I talk about pre-COVID because we're not meeting face-to-face -face right now um, in a church community is it's twofold. Um, I have to have just as much as energy as you, Vincent, because I do children's ministry and I'm a host on stage for roughly about 200 to 250 kids every Sunday. What? That's and, an amazing audience. I love it. Yeah, it is an amazing audience. And they're fourth graders, some dabbled in third graders. So a lot of energy. My job is to get them pumped up and excited about life. And Really, some of these kids come in um, to church who've never experienced a church environment before, but really, it's not like we're creating a church environment. We're creating an environment where they feel loved and they get some excitement and they're able to kind of disconnect from sometimes um, maybe not a great situation that's outside of those doors, right, and helping them 
to see that there's there's a lot more good so that my job is to basically pump them up and make them happy and then I hand them off to a storyteller um, a second component is I do mentoring and mentoring really on a so the background is this is a non-dominational Christian um, establishment or a church and um, I just I mentor people in helping them to what we call find their identity in Christ but really it's to say like how to help them get out of the rut um, out of what could be depression or anxiety or any of these other situations that um, kind of make you feel like you're stuck in life and you can't get past. So those are some of the, the things that I dedicate time to. And I love it. Um, I was a musical theater major before I switched to business. Mm -hmm. So I also think that the children's ministry is like my creative outlet, right? <laughs> Just yeah. where I get to be on stage and be a character that I wouldn't normally be in the business world, I think. I, I love it. I could relate. I was a theater minor and I <laughs> am also a, I didn't tell you, but I'm a comedian, a stand-up comedian at, uh, in the evening here in New York City. It's, uh, it's on our, AJ puts it oh, on wow. our website, so it's not a secret. Yeah, I am a stand-up comedian. Well, I perform. The, the podcast doesn't pay the bill, Katie. No, it's a, it's a stand-up comedian. So yeah, and I love that. And I often, I, I love that audience. That's great. I often do that at trade shows. I get uh, hired to do trade shows and it's not nearly as exciting as talking to kids. It's just trying to get people excited about, you know, GDPR. Oh, kids are more brutal than adults though. They're I, more I, honest. They'll tell, tell you the truth. They're yeah, more honest. They're like, I didn't laugh at you once. What are you even doing here? I'm like, all right, that was, they're like, Bennett, that was take dumb. it easy. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. I don't write the script. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, kids are honest. My son is brutally honest. My son thinks my wife is funnier than me. I'm like, come on. Yeah, Lauren, are you kidding? <laughs> anyway, so also, Katie, the, wow, I can't believe we're almost on time, but talk to us about some advice for people who are studying marketing in school right now, just starting their careers in marketing. What advice do you have for them? Oh, well, like I said, I'm switching. I would switch my advice. Right. Um, I will say I'm not switching it too much though. I think, um, marketers or let's say people are studying marketing. It becomes very theoretical in class. Right. And it comes to, becomes theoretical more like, oh, the four P's and, you know, how do I package this? And um, how am I going to correctly position this, um, this product, whatever it is. And the more you can delve into the digital side, the data side, um, the better. And I always say you're, you're probably one of your most perfect balances if you're going to be a marketer is to minor in finance or minor in data, meaning I have a data science aspect to that. And I say that because numbers are so key right now to being successful in marketing. And the finance side will also help you in being able to um, present numbers well. Data science is also going to help you like, um, there's data story and data storytelling. I think that blend between marketing and data is so, um, is like a, this beautiful mesh. So I always say like, don't ever do pure marketing. Um, don't try and do like a huge major in marketing and I'm going to do a language as a sub. I would say those are your two top pairings to study with. And obviously if you're going to get an internship, um, 
I, I highly recommend to do internships as early as possible because application is really the only way that you're going to understand how these theories work. Um, you can do as many, you know, paper projects as you want to. It's like I, I got my MBA and um, the MBA was great. I learned a lot of foundational theoretical things, but and I learned how to apply them, quote unquote, with case studies. But until I got into the corporate environment and realized how things actually worked, functions, bureaucracy, decision making, et cetera, um, that was really the best learning mechanism that I could have had find a mentor and or do an internship very quickly. I love it. I love it. Katie Kirchner, that's our time. Look at this. It flowed. Annette, I feel like I can go three more hours talking to you about theater. And uh, I have a playbill binder of like 30 of my playbills living in New York. I would love to talk to you about that. But this has been amazing. Did you have fun? I did. Thank you. And I got energy. Surprisingly, at the end of the day, we got interview back. That's it. <laughs> Who needs coffee? You just need the marketing stir. That is Katie Kirshner, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, she's the vice president, brand, content, and digital marketing at NCR Corporation. I, of course, am Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you for listening and watching us on our YouTube channel. We love you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.